0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be looking at salt and light. And as you're turning, children, kindergarten through second grade, you are dismissed. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. We're looking at a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many. And that is the salt and light passage of Scripture. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Salt and light. You may have read this passage a number of times. You may have heard several sermons on it. But what was Jesus trying to get at? Well, he begins by saying, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world noticed how he said, you are these things. He didn't say, go and do these things. That's important for us to understand because when Jesus made the statement, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he was making an indicative statement saying, this is what you are, Christian. He wasn't using an imperative statement telling them this is what you are to do and this is who you are to be, but he's saying, this is what you are. This comes right after the eight Beatitudes that Jesus described his disciples saying, this is who you are as disciples and who you are to be. Jesus continues building on the theme of the Beatitudes, now giving us two metaphors of salt and light, uh, telling us as Christians, telling his disciples at the time, this is what you are, and so go and be what you already are, salt and light. So let's first talk about salt. There's a great book called Salt, A History. And in this book describing salt, it it mentions a number of ways in how salt has impacted uh, civilizations and history. Salt is the only rock that you eat, by the way. Sodium chloride compound. Salt has been a critical factor in the development of civilization because of its preservative powers. At one time in history, Salt was so difficult to obtain that it was highly valued in many different cultures in ancient times. They even used it as currency. We get the word salary from the Latin word salt. And you may have heard uh, the, the statement, when somebody doesn't do their job, well, he's not worth his salt. That's where it came from, the word salt in Latin, is salary. The first town in Europe... 5,000 years before Christ in Bulgaria, it's known as salt works. And we know that salt determined the location of the world's greatest cities. It created and destroyed empires. It caused population shifts because of its power to preserve from corruption. So salt has been a big deal throughout our history and we use it often today. But in Jesus's day, As he mentioned these words to his disciples, they knew immediately what he was talking about, being the salt of the earth. So what about you and me? How does this relate to you and me today? What does it mean for us? Well, I just want to mention briefly, there are four functions of salt that we can relate to. The first thing that salt does is salt preserves. Back in Jesus's day, they didn't have refrigeration. And so fishermen, they would go and catch fish, and they would immediately run to the marketplace and dump a bunch of salt on it. Because if they didn't do that, the hot sun would make the the dead fish spoil, rotten, smelly. It would be awful. And I don't know if you've ever caught a fish and kept it out in the heat for just a, a little while. What happens to it? It's disgusting. In the same way Jesus is saying here, you are the salt of the earth in that you've got to be put ...in this culture that is decaying. It's a culture that is is dying. It's a culture that is lost. It's a culture that smells and can even spoil because it is corrupt. And so as the salt of the earth, you are to be placed on the society and in the society to stop decay. To keep this world from spoiling. And so as Christians, we are called to be the salt of the earth in preventing decay and serving as a preservative. Uh, R.V. Tasker, he said, the disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing, and non-existing. And as you think about history, think about how Christians over, over the years have impacted society for the good. I think of a couple examples. For example, outlawing child abandonment And abortion in the Roman government that took place in 374 A.D. Outlawing the brutal battles to death in which thousands of gladiators died. Christians outlawed cruel punishment of the branding of faces and criminals in 315. Christians instituted prison reforms such as the segregation of male and female prisoners. Christians prohibited the burning alive of widows in India. And Christians abolished slavery in Europe and America. These are just a few examples of how Christians have slowed the decay of the corrupt world that we're in. So as Christians, number one, we are the salt of the earth in that we preserve. We, are, we serve as a preservative. We slow the decay and we, we, we keep this world from getting worse. But the second function of salt is that salt heals. It doesn't just preserve, it also heals. Uh, If you think about it, if you've ever had an open cut and you put salt on it, it stings, but it also heals. It helps your wound heal. Back in Jesus' day, a mom, after she would give birth to a baby, she she would douse the baby in salt for medicinal reasons. We also have... Uh, salt water to help us when we get sore throats. You know, about twice a year, I have a a deep radio voice that sounds like Barry White because my, my throat is sore. What do I do to help my Barry White voice? Well, I gargle salt water and it heals it so I don't sound like Barry White. So that helps and I'm sure you're thankful for that. But as the salt of the earth, we are to heal this world And as I think about church history, I think about all the ways that Christians have helped heal our society. Think about about all the major hospitals that have been created, most of whom were created by denominations and by churches. Think about all of the nonprofits that have started in the name of Jesus to promote healing, people who are struggling with addiction, people who are struggling with mental illness, people who are struggling with emotional distress, Think about all the nonprofits that have been created to promote healing. As Christians, that is what we do. As Christians, that is what we are called to do and to be the salt of the earth, in that we heal this broken society that we're in. Salt preserves, salt heals, salt also flavors. Without a doubt, salt has always been used to flavor up things. It's been used to help things taste better, to add zest and tang to it, to make things more delicious. Have you ever eaten McDonald fries without salt on it? And have you allowed it to sit in your car for a little while and eat soggy French fries? I have and I don't recommend it. It is disgusting. Salt adds flavor. It enhances French fries and potatoes, for example. And many other things that we eat It adds flavor and tang and zest to life. As Christians, we're called to add excitement to life. We're called to bring a little zest and taste and zang to the society that we're in. And unfortunately, many of us, we get kind of stuck in our ways and we either grow cynical and critical and become grumpy old men and women or we are boring. And as Christians... We shouldn't be either of those things. We shouldn't be critical, critical and cynical and become grumpy old men and women. Why? Because we know the outcome of us. We know the end. We know where we're going to be and it's gonna be even better and far better than where we are now. We have nothing to lose as Christians and Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ. We live for a greater purpose and it's Jesus Christ and because we live for him, We should have some life in us. We shouldn't be cynical and ornery and critical, but instead we should be hopeful and optimistic and joyful. We should add some life to the society that we're in. Christians have been known to to be boring. I think about Oliver Wendell Holmes when he once said he might have entered the ministry, except that certain ministers looked and acted like undertakers. That's pretty bad. So he refused to go into ministry because he saw a bunch of dead ministers. Robert Louis Stevenson, he once wrote in his diary, I had an extraordinary day. I went to church, and I'm not depressed for once. I don't want you leaving here depressed. I want you leaving here today fired up. Because it's all the earth. We're, we're called to be fired up. And to add some life to this dying and decaying world. Even in our speech, we're, we're called to... Have speech that's seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Did you know that it was the Christian church that brought in the arts, music, painting, and literature? Many of the world's greatest artists have been Christians. And the same is true in the realm of music Bach, Mendelssohn, Handel, Vivaldi, all these great musicians in our history. We were strong believers in Christ, and they helped create culture, create a beautiful sound of music. In the same way as Christians today, we're called to not only impact culture, but create culture for Jesus Christ. Salt preserves, salt heals. Salt also seasons, but the fourth thing salt does is it provokes thirst. If you eat too much salt, what does it do? It makes you thirsty? It's been said that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I would beg to differ with this point, because if you put a bunch of salt tablets in the mouth of a horse, you better get out of the way, because he's going to run to the water and splash it all over you. That's what happens when you have a lot of salt. It makes you thirsty. In the same way as the salt of the earth, as Christians, we're called to provoke thirst to non-believers. We're called to make people thirst for more after our conversations with them. When they leave us, they should be saying, wow, I want more of that. When they leave us, they should be saying, what is that person on? What is that person doing? Yeah, that person's not on drugs. Yeah, that person's not drunk on alcohol. This person's, they're on Jesus. I want more of that. That's what we're called to do as the salt of the earth. We're called to provoke thirst, But here's the thing that Jesus went on to say in verse 13. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, when Jesus made this statement, he was speaking to the experience of people in first century Palestine. And their primary source of salt came from the Dead Sea. The salt from the Dead Sea was mixed in with other minerals many of which would contaminate the purity of the salt and leach the saltiness out of its content. In other words, Jesus is saying, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. You're you're supposed to provoke thirst. You're supposed to produce or, or to show zang and bring a lot of life to this world. But instead, if you get mixed in with the world and you get contaminated with the world, then you will lose your flavor. You will lose your zest You will lose your tang so be careful not get not to get contaminated with the ways of the world and unfortunately so many churches today are allowing the world to mix in with what they do and a lot of false teachers are out there preaching in pulpits a lot of pastors are just trying to entertain sinners and not reminding them of the holiness of God and and the truth of God's word There's a lot of churches that are caving in to the cultural pressures of today. There's even churches that are debating the essentials of the Christian faith. And what happens to these churches over time, Jesus says it very clearly here, it's like salt getting thrown out on the road and being trampled on or being thrown into a garbage dump. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Athens, Greece. And right outside of Athens is the the city of Corinth where Paul was at when he wrote the letters to the Corinthians. And after driving through a neighborhood, you, you run across the old town or city of Corinth, and it's just a bunch of ancient ruins. There's not a church in Corinth today. It was kind of tragic to see. It was, it was neat to see because it's history. It's part of our history. But it was tragic because there's no church of Corinth today. In the same way, there are many churches that have died over the centuries because they've catered, catered to culture, and they forgot Where they came from, the Word of God. In the same way, Jesus is saying, don't lose your taste. Don't lose it. Martin Lloyd Jones said, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. The world might hate our message at first, but over time they might grow to love it because we provoke thirst as salt. Jesus went on to talk about a second metaphor, and that metaphor, and that was light, verse 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Unless you have grown up on a farm or live in a rural community, you don't really understand what true darkness is. My mom lives on eight and a half acres, and it's neat to go out into the fields when it's dark and you can't really see anything—not even your hand in front of you—when uh, there's no when there's no stars lit up in the sky. Lit up in the sky, it's dark. In the same time when Jesus spoke these words, he was talking to an audience that didn't have electricity. They knew what darkness was, and Jesus said there are two primary sources of light that I am comparing you, disciples, to—a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden and a lamp on a lampstand that illuminates a room. When you think about light, what does it do? It dispels darkness, it illuminates and radiates a room. In the same way as believers, we're called to be like the city set up on a hill that is not invisible, that cannot be hidden. When you look up and you see a city on a hill, it can be seen almost for miles, especially when it's lit up and it radiates into the sky. Again, when I was in Athens, I got to see the Parthenon. It's the centerpiece of the city of Athens, and it's laid up on this hill, and it's designed to wherever you are in the city, you can look and see where the Acropolis is, especially when it's lit up, you really see it. It's gorgeous. In the same way, Jesus is saying, you are like that city on a hill that cannot be invisible. You will be visible because you are the light. He then goes on to describe how we are to be like a lamp on a lampstand. In Jesus's day, the houses were very small. They had one little small window that had light come in and they would have light through the use of lanterns. So it's as if Jesus was saying, put your lantern high so it can radiate and illuminate the room. Because after all, if you try to hide and cover over that lamp, what would happen or the lantern, what would happen? One, it would be worthless. You couldn't see anything. But two, it might set it on fire. If you put a bushel over it, it might set it on fire. So it's really worthless if you don't allow it to be on a lampstand to radiate and illuminate the room. You know, he, he goes on and, and he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all the house. And then he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What I love about this is it it reminds me of of one thing, and that as we are light, as Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, it reminds me that he said he was the light of the world in John 8. And it makes me think about how Jesus is like the sun that gives us the light we need, and we are like the moon that reflects the light from the sun. So when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and then he says, you're the light of the world, he's saying, I'm about to leave, but I'm, I believe in you, believer, to now go and radiate and shine my light and to reflect my light on this dark world. And so if you think about our nation's history, and if you think about just how the moon works, sometimes there are full moons, and sometimes there are half moons, and sometimes you can barely see the moon. Fortunately, in our church's history, we've had moments where we've had a full moon, where the church was reflecting off the sun and of Jesus Christ, and it really made a huge impact around the world. I think about the days of the Protestant Reformation. I think about the great awakenings of America. I think about all these moments with Luther and Calvin and others where you, we look back at our church history with pride, and we say, wow, look at the impact that Christians made in that time in history. Well, I would hope and think that that time can be today, even here where we can have a full moon reflecting the light off the sun of Jesus Christ. There have been other times where you can barely see the moon or it's a half moon, and we see almost where the church is almost on the brink of death. May that not be in our day, but may our day be a day where it radiates light, radiates the light of Christ where we see the full moon at play. Christian, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Over history, the church has had great shining lights, as I mentioned. And there's one I wanna close with from this sermon, and that is the English martyrs, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. They were being taken to be burned at the stake. And Latimer turned over to Ridley on their way to be burned, and he said, Be of good cheer, Brother Ridley. We have lighted such a candle in England as by the grace of God shall never be put out. Just as these words were spoken from Latimer to Ridley, so I speak these words to you. Be of good cheer, my friends. Don't lose heart, don't lose hope, because we have the light in us, Jesus Christ. We are the light, and so may it be said that our candle will continue to burn for generations to come.